Hi guys, welcome back to Stargirl. It's Emma. Today is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. Um, well, happy spring. It is fully night now as I'm recording, um, though I am noticing the day's getting longer. I work from home, so I mean, working from home and living in New York is sad already, but it's especially demoralizing when you leave your house at 5 p.m. and it's already dark. So anyways, feeling very grateful to be skipping down to the gym <laughs> at proper dusk. Um, I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in a while, but happy to be back. And um, yeah, hopefully we can have a strong spring ahead. Um, okay, so maybe just jump right into the Stargirl news. Um, we've got a lot to get to today. I'm very excited about today's episode. I feel very passionately about it. But um, yeah, I'll just get through the get through the line items first. Um, number one is that the Eras tour has kicked off. So Taylor Swift's much anticipated tour. Um, I think there's. I think it opened last Friday night in Glendale. Um, I don't even know if Taylor Swift has come up in any meaningful way thus far. Oh, I think I did like knight her as as a star girl for sure. But um, yeah, I guess, but yeah, to speak about my relationship to Taylor, <laughs> I guess I was, um, it is not until very recently that I have like um, gotten on board. I think, yeah, I was never drawn to her in high school or college um, really. Like number one, just for her aesthetics, like I think, um, regardless of what you think about her, I think it's kind of obvious that her aesthetic world and aesthetic tastes are just kind of off, um, kind of in, in every direction, right? Like, you know, her career has been in part marked by a series of um, overcorrections that we I think we all feel very endeared toward because it reminds us of what it feels like to grow up and try different things out. But none of them are quite right ever you know it's just it's operating on this almost like uncanny register always where I'm like I'm not really sure what what is the reference or <laughs> like what I'm supposed to be feeling it kind of it does kind of inspire unease for me personally so that was one category of reasons I didn't re- resonate with her but then and still don't but I maybe just like I'm not even trying to make <laughs> make her aesthetic choices work for me anymore I've just accepted it um but the other thing is like I think I feel kind of fundamentally opposed to like awkward girl syndrome or something and I think um Taylor Swift's relatability is especially you know the like you belong with me era was very I'm I'm like the unsung hero I'm the underdog I'm the kind of like gangly awkward girl who doesn't quite like know what to do with her body or like is always kind of awkward in conversation and that just didn't resonate with me at all I think the like cheerleader band geek or like uh um like short skirts t-shirts I was like oh I think I like like mini skirts and cheerleaders <laughs> so I was in yeah I don't know I was like yeah let's let's hear it for the predators um but anyways so yeah for for many reasons I wasn't ever feeling like super drawn to her and I had this friend in college who was like you know gonna ride my case and be like you know you're just kind of anti-Taylor Swift as a way to differentiate differentiate yourself or like not liking Taylor Swift isn't a personality type of thing she was like you know this is this bitch at the time she's like this bitch is quad plat <laughs> like quadruple platinum four billion people cannot be wrong like you're not that special um 
at that time I was still resistant to the whole shtick. And it wasn't until I was living with my best friend in New York um, when Lover came out. And, and this friend of mine is um, like diehard and swifty I guess and um so we were just we had that album on in the house and then I kind of I slowly softened to it and then over the past couple of years I just really did my homework and have come to really admire and think very highly of her and and genuinely enjoy her music um anyways so back back to the tour I've watched um a good amount of um tour footage clips on tiktok or whatever um and yeah i mean obviously larger than life i think she played like 45 songs or something insane um you know variety of different sets and costumes and it's all just you know the it's like a spectacle of scale um something that still stands even after watching this and and being able to see how much she has uh like trained and developed as a performer is that she just isn't a natural mover and I was I wanted to bring this up because I've talked about like um Dua Lipa specifically before as not being someone who I'm very interested in um for a number of reasons um but maybe the number one reason is because she doesn't have I think I said like she's not a good dancer and it's not that I'm so zeroed in on whether or not somebody's a good dancer like I mean although that is like a a big category of performance value to me but I think it's you know I've been saying like good dancer bad dancer it's not really that it's like who moves well and who just doesn't really and so there are like trainable um trainable pieces of learning to um, command space and to dance and to um, feel comfortable with choreography. Um, That is all a worthy pursuit, absolutely. And you can tell over, you know, the decade plus that Taylor's been performing that she has um, taken that task on. However, you know, she just doesn't have this kind of fundamental ease with her movement quality. Um, And... Yeah, I think that kind of feels like tied into the awkward girl syndrome for me where it's like um, or it's kind of like, yeah, an indefensible position to say, like, I don't like someone who doesn't (laughs) innately move well, but it is like a judgment, I guess, that (laughs) it sits very close to the surface for me. Like, I also think of like Haim, right? Like, I was just talking to somebody about this. Like, I was very annoyed by all that footage last year of like when they like they were on tour and they like broke it down and they did that dance all together I was like uh yeah I'm not into it I'm not into the like awkward girl steps out and does something like slightly horny but like still sketchily executed I'm like uh a little scared um anyways so that's that's what I think about that (laughs) um and oh, and I guess the other thing I'll say is like, I'm not asking for people, for everyone to be like a Chris Brown level dancer, not looking for that, not even looking for like highly technical, like choreographed stuff. Um, it, but it's just like a, a deep ease. And I'm so sorry to say the word again, but like if a deep embodiment um, is, and I think you can just tell so quickly, like this past weekend, I saw Kalela at Webster Hall in New York. And I've seen her perform before. This was like a way more stripped down um, version. It was like just her on stage. So no backup dancers, like, I mean, certainly lights, but like she wasn't, she wasn't really like dancing that much, but just anytime she like extends an arm or moves her hips even slightly, it's just so, um, 
um, graceful and grounded and powerful. Um, I was saying to friends afterwards, it's like, you know, she, she looks like she's moving through honey. And I think that, um, you know, so that's on the total other side of the spectrum. We're not asking for like huge Beyonce, like bring the house down um, type of, you know, physical performance. But they're what unites the Beyonce and the Kalela is inability to uh, or is just like, yeah, innate movement quality. Right. So anyways, just want to bring up movement quality as opposed to the way I was talking about it in previous times very flippantly as like good dancer, bad dancer. Um, oh my gosh well nearly 10 minutes of Taylor Swift later we are on to item number two on the Stargirl News docket um, Parade is still doing their thing in the past month so they launched at Target a couple weeks ago just yesterday they launched swimwear I feel like there was like a launch of something like every couple of weeks um, there was also this article in the cut that I posted uh, more out of spite because I had written an article very similar a couple years ago and I was just I was just like in a kind of mood anyways um the article is asking very similar questions to what um, I was talking about in the episode number one which is like can parade retain its insider position as it broadens into the mainstream you know that's kind of suffering a, a similar problem to a lot of different brands we watch a lot of different brands navigate it but it is um noticeable to me that there is a specific interest in parade and I don't have an answer for why it generates conversation but this is kind of you know this is the star girl element to it right it is kind of inexplicable but this one brand out of so many in you know in all different verticals that struggle to maintain insider you know kind of cultural elite status as they broaden their audience why does this specific brand really kind of get people's panties in a wad okay wait sorry for that I don't know why that came to me. Anyways, um, so that was interesting. The other question that that article also was asking is, can Parade retain the idea of itself as disruptive, right? When it is, um, you know, not in fact disrupting its audience's expectations of representation both in sizing in um the types of people that they feature in their ads etc it's not actually really disrupting that but it's you know it, it still understands itself as very disruptive and so there is a point that like perhaps they are actually disrupting the actual literal agent uh agency geez, the literal um industry of underwear like you know they use Victoria's Secret as like what they are reacting against um so maybe that is true but it's not disruptive of like the images that we see the vibes that we're <laughs> indoctrinated with right parade is exactly what we expect to be looking at when we open our phones right so I don't know I mean the that argument kind of falls apart because like maybe it does matter more whether it's disruptive to the actual manufacturing and industry versus the images. But I think, you know, so much of what we talk about when we talk about culture <laughs> is just, you know, images. It's not anything more material than that. So I don't know. But I, yeah, I think it's just annoying, right? <laughs> Everyone here can agree. Parade is highly annoying. But speaking of things that are not annoying, Sydney Sweeney. 
can't stop won't stop she is doing so much all the time she really inspires me because sometimes I think I like you know get really precious about like one project and it's like oh this has to be the thing and like you know you have to really you know be very careful with the narrative build up and build down around the thing because it's the one special thing and she's just like next project another project finish a project next project you know and so it's like oh yeah she's just I don't know I mean yeah obviously I really I love her but um yeah what has she done in the past okay well there was the frankie's bikinis this is so smart because frankie's bikinis like is that what frankie's bikinis frankie Bik- whatever it's been around for so many years now right and i think it's kind of the like default kind of influencery bikini brand right like it's like i don't know i feel like it's just very in the ether so so at first the choice to see sydney on it feels just like very late and odd it's like wait why is sydney getting involved with this now you know or like what what's even do they even have momentum or runway or like any mileage left but she is actually doing something very different which i've talked about so many times like if at first it seems that sydney is very kind of like bland and out of touch look again she may be those things but she's so unique when you look at the actual landscape of um people her age with with her level of visibility um and so to speak to the frankie's bikinis partnership or whatever specifically i think she does lend like a feeling of sweetness and um like I don't know it's kind of giving like way more just like wife vibes than the like what we would expect of it there is something just a little more like timeless and sweet about um what Sydney cast into that into that whole situation um in the the shoot it's really funny it's like mostly her right but then there's like sometimes this other girl and I kept being like wait why why is there this other girl in here like just like (laughs) the the like image balance is really off you know and like the focal point it's just like it's Sydney and then who's even this other girl apparently it is like Frankie it is like (laughs) the founder or whatever which that is a very interesting choice to cast herself next to Sydney sweetie and she's like totally like a hot girl but it's like but it just like I mean I would cast myself with Sydney sweetie if I had the opportunity but I wouldn't be like as her weird mirror image it would be as like her babysitter or you know something in that area okay um so so she's been filming in australia for this rom-com that she's in whoops um with that guy from top gun um yeah she's doing a movie with julianne moore um today she posted a picture of herself feeding a giraffe like yeah it's like she never misses it's like perfect um what else you know who else is popping off right now is Allison Roman makes sense because there's a lot of press lead up to her next book coming out um a dessert recipe book sweet enough I'm actually gonna go see her talk next week so I'll report back after that um but yeah I mean Allison is like swiftly becoming of the cast of characters we've talked about one of the most star girly star girls she is really keeping putting one foot in front of the other and you know I was not so loyal to her when the whole Chrissy Teigen thing happened. Like I thought she was kind of annoying and I have been so impressed with her steadfastness of her comeback. Like 
you know, when the Times um, like column got canceled and then she was going to do the thing on CNN plus CNN plus and then that folded and then her with her home movies. And it's like she has like rebuilt her empire and made it even like bigger and better and more awesome than it ever was before. And she just seems so awesome. right? She has a new boyfriend. She just seems so happy and like um, just way more confident. Right. I've talked several times about her kind of bravado which was the way that we saw her insecurity kind of overcorrect and play out and I don't know she's just seeming like really on her game right now I don't know I'm very every time I see her Instagram story in my like up there I'm like oh can't wait to open and see what's inside I love you so yeah I'm excited for her congratulations um Okay, what else has been going on? Oh my god, this is so long ago now. See, I, I haven't talked to you guys in so long. But um, Tinks did finally confirm via her AMA on either a Monday or Thursday that her and Sancho broke up. She is taking the high road, apparently, and um, not wanting to talk about it. But I really need to know what went down with Sancho. I invested so much into, like not their relationship. I wasn't even rooting for it. But I was really trying to, like, learn some information about him. And I was like, what? yeah I had to unfollow actually I don't even think I followed but I know I was looking him up enough because like anytime I would type an s to the search bar then he would be like three or four people down I'm like okay I can't be looking at Sancho um anyways uh oh my god well speaking of tanks there was this um like really crazy uh star girl crossover today when I never thought would happen or maybe if I had thought about it if someone had asked me will this happen I would have said okay yeah probably but it still spooked me and that is that Tanks received a box of Eva Chen's husband's granola, Tom's Perfect 10, if you guys know, today, and she was sampling multiple flavors. So, yeah, I should do an Eva Chen episode, actually. I do have, like, a random vault of information on her, just because I've been following her for her for so long. And I don't even think I was particularly into her, but she's just one of those people that is, like, not offensive enough, even though she can be pretty annoying. And it's just, like, and she posts so much, and, like, there's so many tenants of her life I don't know okay I'm just explaining like <laughs> very basic <laughs> internet power user behavior but yeah if any of you guys would like to come on and talk about Eva Chen let me know um next thing on the list is another Stargirl crossover wasn't it just the last episode not the Mary McCarthy but the one before when I was saying the list of people I was thinking about that I brought up Eileen Kelly killer in a sweet thing the next week, she had Emrata on her podcast. It's called Going Mental. I actually didn't listen to it. I just saw some highlights on TikTok or whatever. But oh my god! So yeah, need to sniff that out a little bit more. Um, okay, for one piece of anti-Star Girl news that I think we are now safely on the other side of everything related to the Selena Gomez and the Haley Bieber. I mean, I've already said Kendall Jenner and Hailey Bieber are not star girls because they're just giving so fucking boring and mean in a even in a boring way. I feel like some of you guys might really love Selena Gomez, but it's also not a star girl to me. And I think that's because the main reason that people are obsessed with her is because they feel like she's occupying some underdog status that they need to like protect and be extra loyal to. And I actually do like Selena Gomez, like totally fine, but it's not giving star. It's giving, it's giving the illusion of one of many for all three of those girls versus the illusion of one of one. So TTF end them. Um, 
Oh, this is very random, but two people that I'm so shocked have not really come up yet, but uh, I would love to hear what you think. And to me, they are definitely star girls. One, Leah Michelle. I mean, that one's obvious. That's like the star girliest star girly star girl. <laughs> and then also Zendaya. Uh, I can't even dive into this right now because I've already spent so much time on the news and we have so much to talk about. But um, Zendaya is... I think it's she's one of those people who at, appears at first to be a star girl and then people want to say but she's not and then the the like galaxy brain is like but she is so we'll get into that at a later date um okay and that's the illusion of the one of one you know okay okay let me just do a slight stretch and then we'll get right back on into it wow you guys I pick up my phone for one second and I'm getting a targeted ad to audition for the Rockettes it's like if they only knew how much I would love to be a fucking rocket. But I think you have to be 5'6". Or at least that's what my mom always told me. Because I actually did legitimately want to be a rocket when I was young. And she was like, you are way too short. <sighs> okay. So today we are going to talk about Alex Earl. <laughs> Alex Earl is a TikToker influencer general i guess um who had a very swift rise to notoriety around christmas time of last year and it's funny to do an episode on alex earl right after mary mccarthy because with you know it's coming off of someone who has this enormous and a very high level endlessly analyzable body of work um and alex earl is not really creating art (laughs) in any way I mean I would argue that she is creating art like inadvertently um but you know I think at surface it seems like what would you even talk about like she's not producing anything of value that is worth parsing I guess um I guess I will say that we aren't going to be talking about her that much (laughs) (laughs) more so she's just a really great vessel to discuss a concept that I am very invested in which is blondness so we've talked about blondness inadvertently and I guess head-on actually a lot Um, I have discussed my letdown with the status of blonde discourse like the kind of highest profile essays around what it means to be blonde what um, you know blonde is a metaphor the violence of blondness whatever etc etc have kind of failed to do the topic justice for me and uh, if I had one reason why these don't do it justice is because it's not interior enough um, it's kind of all operating in these very quasi-academic language and just these kind of inherited um, paradigms than which we talk about power and race and sexuality and beauty that I think don't feel true and I don't think that it's necessarily that the arguments are wrong but I don't see anyone being vulnerable enough to actually tackle it with an interior um perspective right we're like looking through this prism of power that we've learned and being like okay so blondness represents x I don't really hear people talking about what blondness means in their material life um so the only way that I can really uh work with that is to give my perspective on blondness (laughs) which is what I want to do 
so yeah i guess maybe this is like my manifesto on blonde or it's not even really a manifesto but it's uh it's an exp- my exploration of blondness well and i guess the asterisk asterisk here is that i am also interested in how people metaphorize blondness how people deploy blondness um like i guess i do i do think blondness is in some ways a device <laughs> um and then also how also interested in how people criticize how people metaphorize or deploy blondness um and just like the margin between what blondness means as a metaphor for race or beauty or sexual marketplace hierarchy or you know infinite other types of power um the margin between that understanding and what it means in our actual day-to-day lives um So before we fully jump in, um, I want to pose a question to you all. That is, what is the beauty standard in 2023? So I ask this because, you know, I've said this a lot. I hear people say this a lot, like culture is very lost right now. um, And that is evident in a variety of ways when we, you know, if we look at basically like any artistic realm, um, it's very unclear who the leaders are. It's very unclear what the key narrative tensions are. If we look at fashion, if we look at literature, if we look at restaurant scenes, like it's like where, you know, what actually is kind of cutting edge? Um, I think that's probably something we can agree on um in general is you know kind of everyone is has lost the plot a little bit or is just recycling the same plot from like 2021 and it's like okay what anyways um but i feel like one way that we know culture is lost is that the way that we talk about beauty feels very recycled stale aimless you know invested in um, power relations that don't actually feel that zingy anymore um and i feel like people act like they're threatened by different uh items of beauty or factors of beauty that they aren't actually threatened by maybe that's me going out on a limb i'll I'll, I'll explain what i mean um, as we go on but um yeah i think one very concrete way to look at it is like how we talk about the body right like all of the body positivity discourse all of the reactionary discourse to body positivity of late all of the think pieces on ozempic like um, people are just not really doing any of those conversations which um topically i am very interested in but the analysis is just like not hitting um I don't know if I can do it any better, but I'll try. Yes. So anyways, the question is, what is the beauty standard in 2023? Think about it and we'll return. Um, Okay. I promise this is the last thing before we jump into the Alex Earl bio, but I had an impulse to kind of um, uplift um, some Stargirl themes that I think we haven't mentioned head on in a while. Um, So just, yeah. and And this actually, these all may help with the with the brainstorm of the big beauty standard question or they may not but um a couple things one nature artifice continuum right so remember there's uh, this is the idea that culture always swings between two poles um periodically on one side it is um things that feel natural and prioritizing things that feel natural on the other side is um things that feel artificial um this and then we can also think about that like within a person either they might experiment with these two poles and then we also just kind of have this um if you 
look at any one person, celebrity or not, um, you kind of have a sense of them as feeling more toward the natural pole of things or more toward the artificial pole of things. Um, so, um, you know, we've talked about like Grimes feels like high, high artifice. Someone like Sydney Sweeney feels highly natural. Um, Gia Tolentino feels somewhere in the middle, but maybe more artificial. Alison Roman feels more natural. Um, Lena Dunham feels more natural, although more artificial in recent years, I guess. I feel like she you knows she's doing some like funky nails or something. Um, some like loud makeup, maybe. I'm not sure. But anyways, you guys get the picture. Um, another thing was ripe dead. So this is a theory, I guess, that I have that, um, all hot girls hotness is rooted either in a feeling of ripeness or of deadness. So ripe girls would be like Addison Ray, dead girl would be like Dasha. Um, so I think, and, and, and I say this every time and I don't know if I'm just being paranoid, but, um, I'll hit it on home. Both ripeness and deadness have equal potential for hotness. One is not better than, uh, than the other. You may have a preference towards one. I think I have a preference toward deadness because it's what I am not. But uh, anyways, yeah, get to categorizing y'all. Um, I also wanted to uh, re-up my um, the, the shame piece. <laughs> So I had, um, in the Cami Tellez episode, proposed this kind of line of questioning that feels important, um, kind of a self-interrogation when you feel um, threatened. I mean, particularly for when we're like assessing a star girl's kind of what's their kind of cosmic threat that they present to us. Um, but it's just kind of uh, a useful piece like to dig into jealousy and the way that you are like projecting onto them and um yeah their kind of magnetism and uh ability to repel you at once so the questions that i had laid out is number one what do they have that i want what do they have that i'm embarrassed about wanting so perhaps something that i feel intellectually superior to but that i nonetheless still do desire um what do they have that i feel is unavailable to me and from there what is making it unavailable to me other than my, you know, commitment to this narrative of it being unavailable. Um, so, you know, when we look at someone like Alex Earl, basically an easy one there would be like, okay, like I want, I have this impulse to like, you know, dash her off, ignore her, or talk poorly of her, or eye roll or whatever. And then this line of questioning could be interesting to be like, okay, what does she have? What is something that she has that I feel embarrassed about wanting? Be that uh, internet fame, fake tits, um, Anyways, yeah, just wanted to bring those up again. Okay, and now we are finally getting to the task at hand, Alex Earl. So as I mentioned, Alex Earl is a TikToker. She um, really blew up kind of this overnight um, success in late 2022. She has like around 5 million followers, I think, right now. Um, and, and she was, you know, she had a sizable following before this, and she already had a handful of brand partnerships like with like white fox boutique <laughs> that should tell you all you need to know um but um there was this kind of you know viral moment of her and like i want to say like yeah 
this is I should have like done my homework on this but sometime between like Thanksgiving and Christmas last year I think what really did it was she posted this video explaining how she like dumped her boyfriend because he wouldn't post her and that like you know that really rallied the girls of course so um but then she had this kind of overnight like huge viral moment um and just her name was everywhere for a while so talk about girls who generate conversation she was at least for a moment in time um I think starting with her physicality is very important in general for who she is and also for the kind of uh the thrust of this episode um so she is blonde she um I actually don't know if she's like fully a natural blonde she highlights it really really light almost into the like white yellow blonde area um she is you know super fake tan she has big fake boobs and filler and you know a lot of different um you know she does I think she gets Botox. I may be speaking out of turn here. She has the vibe, at least, of a lot of cosmetic surgery and just, like, injections and all of these different things. Um, she is very, very skinny and and just, like, a very small frame in general. So her boobs definitely give this feeling that she's, like, going to topple over, kind of. Like, she does really have kind of, like, Barbie-esque proportions where it's like, wait, are you okay? Especially when she's toppling around in, or, like, hobbling around in heels, which she most always is. I'm like, whoa. Like, you know, it's like... You, you definitely want to, like, protect her or at least you're, like, scared that she's going to fall. Um, yeah, so really skinny, kind of, like, cult-like legs. And, um, yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say. Oh, like, obviously very fake tanned. Um, she's 22 years old and she's a senior at UMiami. This is her senior spring right now as we speak. <laughs> Um, and she is, she actually is no longer in a sorority. She was for a while, but she talks about why she dropped it, I believe in like her sophomore year or something. Um, but she has kind of that messy sorority energy, right? So she lives with a house full of girls, you know, and she does her like house tour. It's all like pizza boxes and like, you know, like, I don't know, leftover ramen and like shoes everywhere and it's messy and like handles of vodka everywhere and like uh, Mardi Gras beads and makeup spills and whatever and uh, Starbucks like half drink and iced coffees, etc. So um, yeah, just very messy kind of like kind of like cheap bottle service energy um, where it's like everything is her lifestyle clearly is very expensive, but it's like this kind of uh, with this trashy tacky sheen to it um she is originally from new jersey and um i guess one i don't even know how significant this is anymore um but when i started following her she was like with her family in jamaica or something um sorry what i was gonna say is that she is like very close with her much younger siblings who you know the girls have to be like i don't know maybe like 10 and 12 or something but you know they'll pop into her like makeup videos and they like clearly all really adore each other so um yeah like i said now that she's like been back at school i don't even know how much her family comes up um but i guess it struck me and i yeah i like remember that um her content is like really mostly just get ready with me's right she'll do like some vlogs and some like specific product reviews but it mostly is her doing her makeup and her just like telling her story of the last night or something of, of what she did and how she got you know she got way too drunk and then she was gonna come home but then she stayed out too late and then she like had to catch a flight and like you know it's always kind of the same saga of like her partying in college um so none of that is that interesting and her vibe also isn't like that unique but it's just so easeful and positive and like uh 
welcoming, I guess, that um, there is something very magnetic about her. So while I don't have the answer for why her specifically, if it feels like there's all of these, um, all of these people that could occupy those qualities, um, I do get the appeal for sure. Um, and she's like, like, I'm not her targeted. I don't know. Actually, maybe I am. Like, honestly, maybe it is targeted. Like, People who have totally aged out of this um, this specific lifestyle, um, but who find it endearing nonetheless. Who knows? Um, so for those who don't know her, um, I feel like, well, I, yeah, I never know like what my listeners are aware of or not, <laughs> um, where our like cultural Venn diagrams are overlapping, but um, I can run her through some paradigms. So on the ripe dead, she is super, super ripe. There is like nothing dead about her honestly when she like takes a picture when she's not smiling or doing like a kissy face it looks kind of off you know like some girl and I would put myself in this camp as well like when you do like rbf or not even when you just have your face slack it like does look scary like my passport photo is like what's wrong it's like it's not the vibe like needs to always be slightly smiling anyway so she's super right on the nature artifice so she is definitely highly artificial right like all the you know fake tan and like boob job and just like the way that she dresses and um yeah all of these things kind of high artifice but it's interesting because she at once has all that but she doesn't feel like calculated or um it doesn't it doesn't really feel put on so there is the there's a natural element in that it feels just very easeful and kind of like innate you know like it feels like oh of course she had breast implants right it feels like she was just like born with like the born with the like highly artificial look that she has I guess if that makes sense um like I mean it sounds insane to compare Alex Earl to Grimes but they're these are similar to me in that they're different high artifice things that they're pursuing feel very natural and born out of like some innate calling toward that or something so anyways um to the sun star moon vibe I think that she's a sun she just gives the vibe of really bringing people together and making people happy um so even though she is like you know she is a performer, at least insofar as she like pursued creating an internet personality for herself. She doesn't have that star energy of like zipping around, look at me, look at me. Like it just, it really feels like she's somebody with like a social gravitational pull, not someone who's like running around at a party, but like that she actually is really like attracting people and bringing people together in a meaningful way. Um, okay. And then for the fluffy sparkly, so she is definitely a sparkly grounded angel. Okay, um, so to speak about her, I guess, trajectory, um, I already mentioned, like, she was, you know, she had a, a sizable following, you know, probably, like, like I'm sure she had, like, over a million followers anyways already, but then she had this big blow up, and there was just this, um, I don't know, maybe this, like, six-week period from, like, mid-December to early February or something, whatever, sometime around the turn of the new year, where um, you were just seeing her name all the time, right? So, like, it inspired, like, a ton of, like, proper discourse on 
uh, on TikTok, you know, all of the, you know, normal girly news outlets were running like little Alex Earl think pieces. Like she was a big SEO play for a long time um, or not a long time, actually a very short period of time, but nevertheless generating real conversation. Um, like I said, just her name was everywhere. Um, and I feel like that has definitely really died down like um or like the curve has flattened I guess um but you know she is she's probably set for whatever she needs like she has you know multiple brand partnerships she just did like a juicy um and forever 21 collaboration or something she's starting to do modeling so this all kind of makes sense in the normal influencer trajectory the ceiling of this we don't really know like but like it's not really clear what the the like official end looks like I think we just don't have maybe hasn't been long enough to see what the full trajectory does anyways um okay one random thing is I was looking at her LinkedIn earlier tonight which I'm obsessed with her most recent um like job or whatever is as a marketing intern at Earl which is her family's company I think they do like paving and like construction something or maybe they don't even do those things but they do like the facilitate paving and construction or something anyways um I don't know if this has come up before but I'm like obsessed with the concept of a family band and I can interpret that very loosely like my favorite movie growing up but also probably still is Sound of Music because I was like so obsessed with the concept of the Von Trapp family singers and yeah just any movie where there was like some sort of like family band element um and again does not have to be a band but like family business or like family endeavor (laughs) like cheaper by the dozen where it's like everyone's rooting for the dad who's a football coach it's like anything like that I just like am obsessed with so I was really um happy to see the family band shining through in Alex's Earl work history and actually let me just pull up her LinkedIn right now okay yeah this is like an ideal resume to me it's like these are the three things listed um I'll go in chronological order okay and it's all to present this is something that I love it's like never been updated and how she has like less connections than me oh my god it's like love her okay um okay so her three experiences listed experiences are one worker at surfside frozen custard two retail sales worker at hazel boutique and three marketing intern at earl i'm like obsessed oh i guess she's catholic or at least she went to a catholic high school i did not know that okay anyways whatever (sighs) um Okay, I guess one other quick thing is, uh, I think a couple episodes ago, I was talking about like rain, R-E-I-G-N, and like some people have a big rain, like Beyonce, big rain, years and years and years, Rihanna, big rain. Um, and then some people have a really small rain. So Alex Earl, definitely short rain, but that doesn't disqualify her from being a star girl. Honestly, her reign maybe, have, maybe has already ended, like that is definitely arguable, but um yeah short reign for Alex Earl but we love her still okay so to speak about what made her an item of controversy um I think at the highest level people were really like why her why is she blowing up why is she getting all the attention there are so many creators who do similar content get ready with me their family comes in once in a while they're doing their little vlogs around their college campus whatever like why her this is a big moment for kind of 
algorithmic bias discourse, right? Um, so people were really jealous of visibility and really believed it to be unearned, especially over this like handful of black girls on TikTok. Um, I feel like people were always referencing like Monet, if you know her, or Clark. They actually make slightly different content i mean monet is maybe more similar um but kind of being like yeah again why alex over these people who like on on so many counts are doing the same exact thing have like similar like ranges of followers why is alex earl like shooting to the top in this way um so yeah outside of this i do want to say just in general i think like you guys oh sorry that was like too harsh people need to stop like blaming the algorithm for things I think feel like I'm like so often in conversations about like <sighs> dating apps or what's on their twitter feeds and that the, they like don't like what they're seeing and they're all everyone is like it's just become this really like knee-jerk turn of phrase to like blame the algorithm it's not a good look I think like let's just kick that out of our mouth and like if, if it's just like a vocal crutch that's one thing but if you actually believe that like this like abstract series of structures is like oppressing you in some random ways like I think that's just a time to like work with what's in your control and you know talk about that talk about how you're doing xyz to improve your life sorry if that's too harsh and that's just I say it because at times I need to hear it as well, but like, let's all stop blaming the algorithm. Okay. Anyways. Okay. Back to Alex. Also, like she's a prime example of, of people really wanting to like reduce her to, um, her like individual factors, right? There was a lot of just like, oh, I mean, she's not that, she's just rich. She's just skinny. She's just blonde, whatever. So trying to reduce her, but somehow she's clearly more than the sum of her parts because even when you break it out and those, none of those things sound like, oh yeah, that's really awesome. That would be a magnetizing force to, for people. It's like, well, clearly she has some magnetism because, you know, clearly something's happening people are drawn the fact that you can't explain it by breaking her out into these series of factors is you know that's kind of a you issue anyways um there was one specific controversy that i remember which um is the miel hair oil thing if we remember this so for those who don't know um essentially alex earl was talking about this um this hair oil um it's called miel hair oil i forget the full name m-i-e-l-l-e -E. um and she was promoting it and i think she like linked it on her amazon storefront or something then people got really upset because they were like okay this is a product that is made for black women's hair and you're like as a as a white girl promoting this hair oil right so people got just level one really upset about that then there was the level of oh, like this is going to sell out because you're linking it on your Amazon storefront. You've got all this pull. People are going to buy it out. And then the people who really need it, black women, won't even have access to this thing. And then another fear was like, oh, you're, the price is going to get jacked up now that like you're behind it, right? So um, all kind of understandable. I do think that people took it like really really far I guess but I mean I don't know I have like no skin in the game right I was just observing all of this but it's also just interesting to note like the the 180 of directives that that people were receiving about how to treat black and brown small business owners right like there was so much 
push like 2020 onward around like buy from black owned businesses right you know it was like a sticker that would come up anytime I was like posting an Instagram story location it's like add black owned business sticker it's like no anyways um and then in this instance the logic is being followed whether or not Alex Earl is like consciously following that directive then you know it inspires this like other type of rage so I don't want to go so far as to say like I'm not saying like okay pick a side you have to like follow your logic to the bitter end no like I don't really care about that um and I also don't yeah I'm not like trying to just point out the hypocrisy of that but um I guess just interesting um what was I gonna say oh yeah and it also it, I'm not trying to just like shoehorn the star girl thing home and be like see she just does anything and it's no matter what she does it's gonna be whoops no matter what she does it's gonna be wrong for people um but I don't know I thought about that uh I have another note here I don't even think this actually got a ton of blowback but um you know at a certain point she started talking about like um, I've got all these followers and I have this like platform now um so I really want to give back and how she chose to give back um was uh basically this girl like dm'd her and told her about her dad who is suffering from glioblastoma glioblastoma and she um was going to this girl was going to put together an auction, the proceeds of which would, would go to support research for glioblastoma. Anyways, and so Alex Earl was, I guess, really like touched by that DM. And so she decided that the way she wanted to give back with her new platform was to procure items for this auction. So she did this big like, you know, procurement push. And it just... um it struck me it just feels really old school I guess like it feels kind of retro um we're told to take action around these really like abstract widespread injustices and so yeah I guess it just feels kind of retro to be like oh this specific person's story moved me so I went with that you know so I don't know but I think I saw some people being mad about that being like what she's just like giving to this specific person that she felt moved by when there's all like climate change and like you know police brutality and like I don't even know anyways but okay but to tie this all up the you know controversy around Alex Earl writ large is people feel like she is undeserving of the spotlight people feel like she is representative of a type of woman or type of girl who we already always see so why her why her now um and people feel like she represents an elite this kind of goes with this point I just said elite that like is undeserving of more attention rather than an underdog who is deserving of attention so um yeah that's to sum it up and then also maybe if I may ask like is that all even true so let's take a closer look oh wait wait wait. one thing I was gonna say is um I brought up this question a couple episodes ago what does she do when she gets the keys to the kingdom and we talked about a variety of responses that different star girls we've looked at do when they really come into their power some people fumble it some people get drunk on power I guess um some people like adopt this like weird kind of feigned humility and shy away from it like whatever variety of responses um 
In Alex Earl's case, she actually just handles it. She's very good at being in the spotlight. Um, She doesn't um, over-explain her behavior or uh, ask for pity or ask for support or um, get like high and go nuts. Um, So it's almost like she's acting like it's not even really happening to her. Um, She's not like overly gracious or thankful. She just kind of like keeps doing what she was already doing positive sweet same old same old kind of um she also in general just like doesn't really take herself that seriously and I think part of how we see that play out is that she doesn't really answer to people like even with this whole miel hair oil thing like she didn't come back with like an apology but she also didn't like double down and like get really stubborn about her what she had done or something try to defend herself like she kind of just like I don't know. It feels like, you know, like when you haven't washed the oil out of a pan all the way and the water droplets are just like running right on over it. Like that's kind of how it feels like. Like she's like things are just kind of like rushing by her and she's like almost like not even aware or something. (laughs) I don't know. So yeah, it's all very light and bouncy with her. Um, Some might say it's very blonde. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I kind of brought this up with the when I brought up the like shame questions again. But, um, you know, beyond what Alex Earl represents physically um, and therefore like what we can analyze about her physicality and what her, you know, the attention to her in this moment might mean or something beyond all that, like her job as like a TikToker or an influencer and the specific type that she is, is something that I feel like we would be really knows up about right it's kind of like embarrassing anti-intellectual um just this like mainstream tiktok influencer who doesn't share any ideas right she's definitely not like life of the mind um i i understand all of those things and also like she is symptomatic of this certain type of cultural flattening right influencer to fashion week to red carpet etc you know that is like genuinely depressing um but i feel like despite all of that she actually does really embody a type of star power and she does it with such ease that therefore it becomes more artful um like so yeah she's not quote-unquote producing anything of value maybe but the ease with which she navigates the attention that she's receiving does feel really powerful to me and really fun to watch and um really inspiring um so Yeah, I mean, as opposed to, no, I don't even want to say as opposed to, but we can all think of people who rise in popularity very quickly and like just don't know what to do with that power and are just like awkward or get overly giddy and weird and then kind of like burn out or like whose fame feels like maybe earned or something, but who just feel so tactical and strategic that it's not even like, it doesn't feel artful or something. So, I mean, Gia great that she's coming up for the blondness episode Gia absolutely had an ease with her star power for a while too and you know she was on Sarah Silverman recently and what she's talking about is neither here nor there but um Gia's a really good speaker and she also has a really beautiful voice and I was just struck and honestly kind of nostalgic watching it um because I was like I remember when or there was a time when you could really embody 
when you when you took the keys to the kingdom with grace and with your head held high and with a lot of ideas for what random shit you were going to go do with them you know and I think that she lost that and she just doesn't have that fight as much anymore and that's okay like you know I feel like I talk about my problems with Gia so much but it's just it's because of how much I projected onto her and what a role model she was for a specific time in my life and like how much I just yeah expected of her and wanted for her and like felt like her continued success and embodiment of the power that she had would in some way um get me closer to the success and the power that I wanted and then you know just like a loss of an idol is obviously always hard and so when I and it's not like she did you know just like as as time went on we actually diverged in our politics in our self-presentation in uh like yeah the day-to-day of our lives like I even remember being just like really sad when I found out she was pregnant because I like knew I was years and years away from being a mom and I was like oh okay you're kind of graduating to this other realm we're going to be more different it's going to be harder for me to like keep you as this idol that I'm really needing right now to keep you know living out this dream that I had for myself as a writer in New York or something okay wait I don't even know why I got on this full Gia chain but it's like Anyway, she was on Sarah Silverman. She has a crazy, amazing poise. She's very articulate, obviously. She um, can really command space. Um, I am like, something I'm always mad about is that I didn't go see her when she was on her book tour um, because I think she would have given a wonderful performance. Um, anyways, what was I even talking about before I went on this full Gia? Oh, just people who have an ease and an artfulness with their embodiment of their fame and some who don't. Yeah, so I think Alex Earl does. Oh, the other thing is that like all of her friends seem genuinely so pumped for her. Like they're always in her videos just seeming like so stoked. And so I think that's not that we need our celebrity. Oh, well, some some of you do. I don't need my celebrities to be like the perfect, you know, stand-up citizen. Um, but the fact that so many of Alex Earl's longtime friends still seem so stoked for her speaks very highly of the type of friend that she is, right? Because, you know, there are some friends who when they like gain success, you can only be like jealous of them or pissed at how their that success is changing their ability to be in your life. And um, then there are some friends who we can imagine if they were successful, it would just be like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, I'm so happy with you. I'm thinking of some friends right now. Okay, anyway, so that's all some kind of background on Alex Earl. So to speak to um, the kind of A crux of the Stargirl position, which is the dream threat, right? So at once representing both the dream we have for ourselves and a threat um, that we feel. So the dream with Alex Earl is pretty obvious. Um, It's kind of this, you know, this maximum level of attention. Um, Maybe it's like, maybe that's where it stops I think there's also some elements of just like her lifestyle you know that she has money that she has friends that she is able to just like hang out and party all the time I mean whether or not you want to party all the time I think like the fact that she has like seemingly no responsibilities or something like that's all part of part of a dream um I think the stated threat the threat that we're all comfortable with is that she is a part of 
a ruling class. Um, and this is also what we'll tear her down for. It's a kind of villainous position inherently. This because it's dangerous. This, you know, this idea that any proximity to power is bad. And she has proximity to so many types of power that she is bad. So that's the threat. However, I think that the real threat is her ease and her confidence. Um, and, you know, some may say, well, yeah, but like the the ease and the confidence is just informed by her proximity to power, her class, her race, perhaps, you know, but it really is this comfortability with herself, not the different factors that could uh, lead to her comfortability with herself that is what is threatening. And it's not just the comfortability with like, you know, her body or whatever, um, but it's also with her tastes, right? It's her being so confident doing whatever she's doing, even if it's not cool, even if it's embarrassing, even if it's stupid. Like it's the ability for her to let herself be totally her. Um, and again, unnarrated, right? Um, she's not being like, oh, look, I'm doing whatever I want. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Like she's not saying any of that. She's just doing it. She's living out that rather than narrating it. And I think that is really the threat. Um, it's the lack of looking around vibe, you know, that is threatening when you see people who are just like fully consumed in their, what they're up to that, that is absolutely threatening. Um, Okay, I also wanted to do a bit of work kind of fitting Alex Earl into some sort of lineage um, because I think she's a type that we all feel like uh, we know very, or if not like know intimately, like we, we can put the picture together. Questions here being like, who is she aesthetically, culturally related to? And then secondly, is this a real cultural elite? therefore threat, or an imagined, inherited, kind of lazy idea of a cultural elite that we just kind of like pass around and say like, oh yeah, you know, her proximity to power in XYZ ways. Um, so uh, yeah, Nymphen alumni did a episode on what they were calling like the spiritual bimbo a couple, maybe a month ago or so now. And, and that does like some of the work to situate Alex Earl and actually bring her up in that. So in that episode, and God, I know I bring them up all the time. I'm like probably one mention away from getting blocked. They're like, bro, hop off. But anyways, um, they're kind of talking about like 90s and early 2000s, like new age spirituality, X kind of campy femininity. So like they spend a lot of time talking about like Pamela Anderson, Paris Hilton, even like Anna Nicole Smith. So just like, you know, the classic bimbos of that age um, and the kind of fashion history of of that type that helps to situate Alex Earl but there's like there's something else to her that I don't even think is like necessarily so temporal but um yeah there's something just more random <laughs> right there's kind of like this trashiness this broiness this kind of like oddness I don't know there's elements of like to me with Alex Earl elements of like Alex Cooper um elements of like Tana of like Serena Kerrigan um I don't know it's there's like so like the broy elements are like yeah just like a girl that would wear a hat or a hoodie and there's like 
there's these like types of girls that like always have a raspy voice and it's not because they have like a scar joe raspy voice but they like it was somehow like always game day or something and like ah, you know that kind of thing um then there's the like rogue sorority elements um the messiness the kind of like i don't know a little bit of like insert here marketing chick vibes um i don't know they're just like the the random blondes you know like they're they just really are so random they're like new money but not even necessarily moneyed at all you know um but not like old money prim blondes right um yeah i guess like there's a lot of like internet like honestly even jenna marbles is like feels like slightly related in some way because it's like i mean that's like extreme goofiness but there's something that just feels very like like despite all of the artifice of all these women there is something kind of just like stripped down and like one for the guys and like uh I don't know just random <laughs> honestly like I just like it's just this like deep deep randomness to me even Alex Earl like the spelling of her name A-L-I-X it's just so random and so perfect that this person in the position that she is in is named Alex A-L-I-X I don't know like I don't know you guys getting this. Oh, one other thing about this like type is like they're this interesting blend of low maintenance, high maintenance. So the low maintenance is like they're just down and they're a game and they're open and they're fun. And then the high maintenance is like this extreme adherence to certain feminine beauty rituals, makeup, hair, nails, fake tits, etc. Um, so that as opposed to like the the inverse which I feel like I see a lot of in New York, which is like the the low maintenance is more like natural looking, less makeup, less like uh, at least evident activities of beauty. But then the high maintenance is like either just not down or game and, and very cautious or just like kind of like weirdly controlling and neurotic, right? Like, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, like this is a type of blonde girl that I think that we all know and one that we like probably feel pretty comfortable shitting on um, as opposed to types of blondes that we feel more reverent of um, that have this kind of different type of power that's more rooted in like stoicism or some feeling of just kind of like uh, I don't know, more like classic Western beauty or something um, or even just like blonde girls who feel striking like I, I do think that this it does I mean I am someone who does think beauty is bone deep so I am like particularly uh noticing of bone structure but I do think there is something about the bone structure here that that comes into play um but like yeah okay so like Alex Earl is not the following type of blonde girls Elle Fanning Sydney although Sydney's character on Euphoria Cassie is kind of cl- is close is a type of like the randomness side of it um Cher Horowitz clueless different type Elle Woods is not giving the random though Reese Witherspoon is more giving random okay um Mar- I already said Margaret Robbie not random okay Addison when Addison first blew up on TikTok, people really wanted her to be a random blonde. And at the time, she had a lot of the makings, a lot of the markings, whatever. She had really, oh my God, I didn't think that siren was going to turn down my street, but it did. I'm sorry. She, anyways, she had um, long, messy hair, bad highlights, split ends. She was, insert here, blonde popular girl from the South. She was super confident, bubbly, op- like open seeming. Uh, super super carefree 
didn't seem like she was thinking about anything, didn't seem like she had a care in the world, right? People really wanted to write her off at this. Um, but too bad for them. She has a perfect face. And um, I mean, too bad for them. So many other things. But obviously, Addison is not a random blonde in the end. Um, although she can play one very convincingly. And I think I think that she is blonde at heart. We'll get into that later. Um, anyways, this is all to say that when we think about the type of girl that I am describing, the lineage that Alex Earl fits into, random blonde or even just like blonde girl, the random is kind of implied in the situation, is in insult and it's one that we're very comfortable with right like if you think about um I don't know I feel like I hear this all the time it's like oh who's this girlfriend it's like oh just some random blonde or just some blonde chick right like latent in that uh response is right that we're acting like that's obvious that's expected there's kind of a built-in eye roll right this is uninteresting this is common the intent of that response oh just some blonde girl is to genericize them right it's to point to this girl or these girls interchangeability right so you know what what is like telegraphed there is that this is a kind of like dime a dozen oh like she's actually not that interesting she's actually not that like deeply beautiful but she's blonde blonde is the reason first of all I just want to challenge that I don't really think I'm like seeing any people be like on the hunt for blondes or like lusting after blondes as an as an idea I don't really think that that's like going on um at all I don't even see girls being like oh my god she's blonde she's so beautiful like I don't really think this is actually something that we're going after right so all to say very critical is that this type of blonde girl is not actually culturally elite Yes, they may be in some cases circumstantially privileged. They can have money. They might have a good job. They might have a stack resume, whatever. But they are kind of in some ways the perfect mascot of whiteness because they are highly criticizable. We're all very comfortable kind of like shitting on this type and just as like, you know, this this assumption that everybody thinks similarly and lowly of this type. But they're not actually threatening. First of all, we've all kind of just like agreed unspokenly to pretend like this type of girl is threatening. But then the more insidious layer to it is like we believe ourselves to be punching up when we're actually punching down. Um, so yeah, I think to bring back to the shame discussion that I talked about earlier, Alex Earl and the Alex Earl types are the perfect subject for the shame line of questioning. What does she have that I'm afraid or embarrassed of wanting? And what does she have that I feel is unavailable to me? So this all brings me to my next question I guess which is um, where is blondness actually located in the sexual marketplace hierarchy um, and what does blonde mean <laughs> so I guess like I do kind of want to challenge the idea that literal blondness is at the top of the totem pole in terms of the second sexual marketplace like I feel like there I have very little evidence that literal blondness is actually a dominant social power in like at least my social circles however I do think that there is lots of evidence that what we believe blondness achieves in other words what blondness is a metaphor for or the like state of mind that it can engender among its inhabitants <laughs> um is something that we want like we want the effects of blondness kind of as an idea as a metaphor so um 
Yeah, I do think that blondness as a concept has meaning, absolutely. Um, But as a phenotype, um, it isn't actually at the top of the beauty or social or sexual totem pole in the way that we kind of pretend that it is, I guess. Um, So I was thinking about what blondness means to me. Um, I think I've landed on it means high visibility and more importantly, comfortability with that visibility. Um, so it means a lightheartedness, a vibrancy, and also kind of pride. But the comfortability with the visibility seems to be the most important. Um, I guess that, that comfortability with that visibility could be on any level um if whatever stage that you have that you are really like down with it I guess um to the question of like what does blondness what does it mean in the world um how is it again deployed as a device in the world um one way to look at it is like to look at who dyes their hair blonde and when um so yeah it's interesting to look at like when celebrities will like debut blondness um so like i'm thinking you know recently of like aubrey plaza she had that like moment where she debuted her blondness um i think about casey musgraves when she was um, when she dressed up as barbie for i think it was the 2019 met gala um and i think about um like when Zoe Kravitz's hair was dyed blonde, when she had it really short. Um, I think about Kim this past year. I think about um, Rose of Blackpink. I think about Gia, obviously I've talked about her. Um, I think about Beyonce for so much of her career who had those honey blonde locks. Um, I think about, well, I just mentioned that I last weekend went to the Kalela concert. She had a long blonde wig on. So there's all of these instances of like when people make the choice to deploy blondness um, and, you know, what what is the attendant effect? Um, I think, you know, it can be to shock, I guess, like to make a statement um definitely is to like it's an it's an attention seeking behavior to go blonde absolutely like i can't think of any instance in which the choice to go blonde um or the choice to act blonde is not attention seeking behavior i feel like that's kind of built in and that goes in with the the visibility piece that i mentioned um and hopefully the comfortability with that visibility nothing worse than someone who dyes their hair blonde and cannot embody the spirit of the blonde honestly this pisses me off so much like (laughs) and i know like i understand why that's like a ridiculous annoyance to have because i can't control people's behavior and i can't like you know gatekeep the spirit of blonde but it's like come on people like let's you know get just get it together anyways um just like rise to the occasion um anyways I do think that it is often when celebrities of any race decide to go blonde um you know it is to assert some sort of like power or pride within themselves or comfortability within their own skin um 
so and just because it's often a change there's like a piece of shock value to it um I do also think that the choice to be blonde like has a kind of like built-in campiness to it right like I think it's almost kind of easy to just jump to caricature of the thing rather than the thing itself I mean obviously that's easier in in all realms because it's actually very difficult to keep the tension and to be sincere and it's much easier to be costumey and ironic about things um but blondness included um another huge area of interest it seems like on the ground and also like in media is talking about non-white women who dyed their hair blonde um I was listening to this Claudia Rankine interview on NPR it's from like several years ago maybe 2018 or 2019 um she had just done an exhibit um about blondness or maybe it was even titled blonde I'll link it but um you know the interviewer is asking her like you know in in her experience and interviewing all her different subjects like what are people seeking in blondness and um she's kind of heartbroken by what she found which is that like people feel like blondness will unlock something for them um and you know she's talking about how blondness is kind of indivisible from whiteness and so um there's this you know pursuit of proximity to whiteness that people are get kind of like obsessed with or feel like you know there's this external way that they'll be validated anyways there's also this um this piece I think it's in the New York Times styles it's called like let me just look it up oh it's it's called why so many Asian women are bleaching their hair blonde also from 2018 one idea they bring up is like non-white women are subverting whiteness by, um, you know, participating in a, you know, in an expression of whiteness, that being blonde, blondness. So there's kind of this built-in act of kind of reclamation. Um, and then there's this kind of other beat that comes up in, in both of these pieces that's like, oh, or people think that they're subverting whiteness, but they're actually seeking greater proximity to it, right? Um, and I don't know that potential hypocrisy isn't maybe important or like I don't know it it is interesting and I catch myself being drawn to the psychology behind it like I think I've yeah (laughs) I have like brought that up with Gia before um but I think it's kind of a cruel thing to make people answer to right like I'm not going to be like oh hey you think you're subverting whiteness but uh it's clear that you actually crave proximity to it like no that's cruel um but I also do think that we're at a point where we have so many like specific aesthetic lineages of black brown and Asian women going blonde that going blonde doesn't necessarily align you with white blondness there's just like other precedents that you would either be playing with or be seen as playing with like I don't know if I don't know this all it all just feels very kind of like academic and like oh is this act of self-presentation participating in race schema or something I don't know like I don't know if it's all so thought through and kind of like I hope not because what a terrible way for everyone to be living our lives if we were like okay and I'm gonna calculate like I'm now I'm engaging in this conversation and now I'm engaging in this system of power by blah 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 I mean like obviously huge history of like fashion in all of its manifestations being like a radical political act (laughs) but I don't know 
if it doesn't necessitate it, I guess. Um, also, I wanted to talk about this article that came out in the Times um, just this past January, which in some ways is kind of the occasion for this episode, I guess. Um, it's called The Enduring Invisible Power of Blondness. Um, it was an opinion column in the Times written by a black woman named Tressie McMillan Cottom. Um, and I mean... Yeah, you all should should read the article itself. Um, she talks about several different things. Um, she talks about using blonde, the word, as kind of a non-racialized term to discuss whiteness um, is one of the first big points that she makes. So it kind of is this like easy way that has allowed specifically white America to talk about race without having to talk about race. And I guess I would challenge that a little bit. Like I definitely think blonde is a racialized term. And, you know, she makes the point later in the essay saying like, you know, throughout this essay, when I've been referring to blonde women, you've probably been envisioning more of a Reese Witherspoon than a Beyonce. And I'm kind of like, well, yes, probably. And that's because blonde is a racialized term like I do think that blondness is divisible from whiteness like I don't totally agree with the the Claudia Rankine take on that but I do think that they I don't know I don't know if people are using blonde to avoid talking about whiteness like using it for the as this very like convenient proxy I don't know maybe it's impossible to parse that anyways but um the other bigger point of her essay and what I was also more interested in is she talks about the allegiance to blondness that certain white women hold well beyond the, quote, phenotypic expression of this trait. So she tells a story of encountering this um, video on TikTok where this girl is talking about herself as a blonde when she clearly has brunette hair. And then on video, she asks her mom, like, aren't I blonde? And the mom is like, yeah, you were born with blonde hair. And so then... Tressie kind of, you know, parses that psychology a little bit and um, asks the following. She says, what could be so important about a genetic trait that someone would use it to describe herself long after the trait's phenotypic expression, light hair, no longer exists? It makes literal sense only if by blonde she is referring to something more than hair. Being a natural blonde must confer honor, esteem, and power to those who can legitimately claim it. Guess how we define social status? It is as a role or identity that confers honor, esteem, and power to those who legitimately hold it. So she's kind of pointing to this as I said, um, this allegiance that people that that certain white people have to their blondness, even if they are not blonde in adulthood or maybe blonde at all. So there's this like feeling of allegiance to a trait that doesn't even really exist. Um, and I found that interesting and I also recognize myself in this. Um, I mean, first of all, I already talked about like feeling like blondness as a metaphor, as a state of mind is um, equally, if not more powerful than the uh, literal phenotypic expression of blonde hair and I think that socially that is kind of what plays out. Like I think, you know, when I said like Addison is a blonde at heart, it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm interested if you guys agree with me on that, uh, even though she is literally not a natural blonde and has not even been dyed blonde for many years now. Um, but so I feel like there is something real and true about what Tressie is describing, but that 
I don't necessarily think is potentially malicious. Um, but then I also recognize it on myself on the ground because I deeply identify as blonde. I consider myself blonde. And yet I have had many people tell me like, oh, you're not actually like you're not blonde or like I've had people tell me stories about when someone was like referring to me as a blonde girl and they corrected them and was like oh she's not blonde um so yeah I don't dye my hair or like lighten my hair um I did when I was younger but it's been my natural coloring for years now and I feel deeply blonde but (laughs) I guess like a lot of people don't uh don't think my hair is blonde so anyways I was thinking about that and kind of interrogating that like why do I feel so close to the identity of blonde if I sorry I've said phenotypic expression like so many times it's just because that's a phrasing (laughs) that Tressie used in her column and I like don't need to reinvent but anyways like um yeah I guess like I want to be associated with those qualities that I associate blondness with. So um, comfortability with attention, lightness of spirit, warmth. Um, And, you know, I do remember times, um, I think like mostly like right when I moved to New York, um, where I really did not want to be considered blonde. And I didn't dye my hair darker than anyways either. But like, I was very nervous of being perceived as probably the type of blonde girl that I'm describing in the Alex Earl universe which which is kind of ridiculous because I like I'm absolutely not like a busty bimbo-y <laughs> bro-y sorority blonde but I felt like that you know that misinterpretation of what I was putting out there felt very like close and therefore threatening and I was like I really don't want to be associated with that I'm going for like literary chick or something um I guess at the time I don't even know what I was going for something something that wasn't totally true to me I'm sure but anyways um yeah I guess I thought like wait what was I even trying to say Oh, maybe the just that I've experienced both, like extreme allegiance with blondness and extreme want to disassociate from blondness without ever like changing the literal color of my hair, um, which again points to the kind of like state of mind that at least I feel like blondness holds. Um, so or is defined by but yeah like at the times where I like hated myself most or like most wanted to be something that I like was not did not want to be considered blonde it was like oh because it's not cool it's not edgy like I feel like I would be written off or not seen as desirable in certain sexual marketplaces um all of which is still possible and true I don't know I was also wondering if there's like an element which I'm kind of embarrassed about but that like um, almost of like wanting to prove people wrong or something where it's like okay at, if at, at first I could be written off as like dumb and frivolous which I always I also am um, but then like there's this other layer of you know maybe you wouldn't expect me to have so many ideas or something <laughs> so that there's like something about blondness that feels kind of like you can subvert expectations or something um, yeah or like use it as a differentiator I don't know yeah I also am interested for like those of you who uh, do dye your hair blonde like what 
Does it allow you to inhabit? Is it literally just a coloring thing and it feels like it makes your features pop more or something? Or like, yeah, how, um, what does it mean to you to be blonde versus not? Um, yeah. Another thing I was thinking about related to all of this is like who is entitled to blondness? Um, like if we know that many white women who identify as blonde are actually dyeing their hair blonde. So therefore that blondness as we see it, as we experience is largely artificial, right? There are actually very, very, very few natural blondes. Um, who are we granting kind of real blondness to, right? Um, so like for who do we allow blondness to be something that we think of as innate, whether or not it actually is natural versus costume? Um, and I think that there are probably like lines unconsciously that we're kind of drawing. It's like, okay, she's a real blonde. She's like a fake blonde or something, even among white women, of course. But I also think that in a sense, it's kind of up to the perpetrator. <laughs> like, I think that anyone who can embody the spirit of what they're going for with blondness and this doesn't mean like fully change your whole personality but I think you have to be you have to appear very comfortable with that choice so that it doesn't slip into irony I guess so it's gonna appear costumey if either you are uncomfortable with it and then like you know zinging into irony territory or it's gonna feel costumey if you just look uncomfortable and like just look awkward with it you know and this goes for any like cosmetic change that people make right like fake boobs can look really natural as they do with Alex Earl because she seems really comfortable with them um and I don't mean to pathologize awkwardness with self-inflicted bodily changes like obviously that would be psycho but um in terms of the experience of a receiver like I think I don't know to Tressie's question of like who can legitimately claim it or something um you have to be up to the task of legitimately claiming it like I don't know you can't wait around it's not me over here saying you're blonde you're not you've got to like you've got to show up to the plate um yeah, and, and I, another thing on that, it's like I don't think that blondness is necessarily restricted to people who have like the believable coloring to pull it off. Um, like I would say Beyonce is a more legitimate blonde than Aubrey Plaza because she embodies the spirit of blondness and she feel it all feels very natural and easeful where with Aubrey Plaza that was, well, I mean one that was really short-lived so it seemed like her stylist or her, they were like, okay, and no walk it back but um even at the like first debut of it it was like no this bitch is not blonde you know yeah um uh oh on the Aubrey Plaza point I had a really great conversation with um a girl on Instagram the other week about Aubrey Plaza absolutely not a star girl no 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 this is she's in the Florence Pugh camp of just like trying to like make some statement by like being a downer you know oh also to the Florence Pugh now that she's come up she's gotta stop doing the high low silhouette with the legs I am so sick of seeing it and it is not flattering on her and I feel like I can say that because I am also very short and muscular 
like let's just figure out a different look you know um anyways uh back to the blonde like well what do we think about Gia does it feel more costumey or innate Ugh, I don't know again I feel like back in 2019 pre her like mini cancellation or whatever she was acting much more blonde and now she's I don't know she, this I just feel like she's been acting like tail between her legs for a while that doesn't feel very blonde to me um okay so I'm like where does this leave us <laughs> I guess like obviously blondness is a highly recognizable legible trope that we might associate with like ditziness, overflowing sexuality, too muchness, um, or then on the like other end of the spectrum, kind of like, you know, polite white society or something like that. Um, like the Doris Day type of vibe. Oh, wait, one thing that I actually learned in the process of this. So uh, Tressie's column that's called The Enduring Invisible Power of Blonde. In the title, the... Um, blonde is spelled b-l-o-n-d which immediately signaled to me this is blonde derogatory because to me why would you ever spell blonde without an e unless you were trying to say something negative about it i looked it up actually blonde with an e is what you use as a noun form to describe women blonde with no e is either the noun form to describe a man or the official spelling of the adjective in general. So when she's saying the enduring invisible power of blonde adjective, no E. I think I'll still keep spelling it with an E, but I did learn that. Okay, wait, anyways, what was I trying to say? Oh, okay, well, yeah, okay, so blah, blah, we all have ideas about blondness. Um, um, but I'm curious if there's something that feels genuinely threatening about blondness in our social or sexual marketplaces, or do we all just kind of pretend that that's still at the top or that that was ever at the top I don't know um like I already said this I don't really see people lusting after blondes I don't really see like even like this drive to be blonde and yet we kind of just pass it around as like I will oh yeah like she's blonde blah blah so I don't know I personally don't think that blondes are at the top of the sexual marketplace uh I don't know and you may be saying okay well maybe for this teeny tiny world of like New York artist types literary folk whatever and the orbiters of those scenes and it's like well why would I be concerned with anything other than the social realms in which I actually participate slash observe you know like why would I be transporting myself to my imagined idea of the general American culture or something first of all that'd be a waste of time second of all that would be very disembodied behavior to be trying to you know project into the abstract rather than looking at my literal own life um and also it would just be extremely patronizing and weird so what i'm asking is not what do we think uh is the beauty standard of like the other that we can who's like mind space culture etc we cannot know it's like what is the beauty standard in our life And now we got back to the question that I posed at the beginning. So I asked this to many, many different friends of mine. uh, And we had some interesting conversations, some overlap, some difference, whatever. Um, And then just this last weekend, I asked it to David. And he said, that seems like a question for women to women. (laughs) um, I 
laugh and I also like know what he means like um I think you know when we talk about like beauty standards as a concept we're not really talking about what people or in you know a like hetero context what straight men find desirable um fitting into a beauty standard isn't even really about attracting sexual or romantic partners it's about seeming fit for image making and distribution right so like if we look at the body positivity movement or something it was about opening up the image making process and editorialized spaces for fat people to be represented right and so whether or not that project was successful in changing quote-unquote beauty standards is another thing but when we're really talking about how does that actually like play out in our lives it's not about actually people's preferences changing it's about changing the images that we see right so I guess that's just like a distinction that I want to make right and so then if you know there's all this like discussion over the past year or so about like skinniness being back in and heroin chic being back in and now with the whole like ozempic situation um I don't really think that there is like a quote-unquote comeback of people preferring skinny women as sexual or romantic partners as opposed to five years ago. Like these pendulum swings of culture that we're talking about aren't really affecting who gets sought after on the ground. It's affecting the idea of ourselves as beautiful enough good enough whatever to be made into images distributed and sold and it's kind of a really weird thing because at once there's all of this discourse around like um you know making money off of my image and um you know the rights to my likeness and all of these kinds of things and like yeah just like not wanting to be turned into a commodity but when we're looking at this this quest to change a beauty standard what we're really looking for is to broaden or change the the criteria that someone needs to be allowed to be made into a commodity right like I do think that there's this kind of like deep desperation that we all want to be commodified right so um in general looking to beauty standards as a way to understand yourself is in my mind a pretty like warped disembodied again way to think about beauty and sex and desire and like it's understandable the urge to like obsess about these is I I under I get it and I have been there like but I guess just like speaking for myself the fact that I have never seen my exact self represented in media fashion Hollywood has never had any bearing on my actual like sexual marketplace desirability so far as I can tell times where I've been like dramatically less pursued than other times is usually because like I'm depressed I'm not treating myself well and I'm not I'm not doing anything that would make me attractive right like it's like I know it's not because the beauty standard shifted and suddenly I was out of vogue right um so yeah I don't know I don't feel like my desirability has ever changed along with shifting beauty standards and uh because I can only speak from my own experience but because I love to project I'm like that's probably the same case for you and also why would you want someone to be into you because you're suddenly like trending like that would just be weird um anyways that's the first part of what I think about 
the question of the beauty standard. But to actually answer my question, because I did pose it, I didn't mean to do that, like, gotcha. Um, If there is a editorialized beauty standard, what came up in the several conversations I had with my friends, and which I was also thinking about myself, is like, um, you know, the last kind of classified beauty standard we had was Instagram face, right? And so this is like 2019-ish. I think Gia's essay has actually been kind of calcified into record, which I think, I remember when it came out and I didn't think she got it all quite right, but um, it lives on and several, several people, it's just like so referenced in basically everything. You know, it became canon essentially um, is what I'm trying to say. So it's a good reminder to like, put your stakes in the ground when you have an opinion about something even if you know that it might not quite be right because like it could be and also more evidence of Gia Stargold I'm right okay I'm talking about Gia so much in this essay but she's blonde of course she had to be here so just to remind ourselves Instagram face was characterized by um like highly snatched look and features right so kind of like fox eyes it really intense jawline and cheekbone line um and you know if we think about like Kendall Jenner Emily Ratajkowski Bella Hadid um even Kim in some ways though Kim's face is kind of like longer and longer and rounder um but yeah in Gia's piece she talks about having kind of the most extreme features of every different racial group so um like the large black lips, the Asiatic eyes and wide set cheekbones, the um, like and the tiny white nose. Um, And I was actually remembering this like Red Scare episode. I'm like surprised how little Red Scare has come up in this considering like, well, whatever. Um, Anyways, um, there's this episode that they came out with right after that Gia piece called Botoxic Masculinity. And um, this is where... you know, Anna kind of asserts that white beauty is not the dominant beauty standard anymore and that we kind of all like pretend like it is, but it really isn't. And if you are going to take Instagram face to be the beauty standard of the time, very little little about that is actually like white, white features. And so multiculturalism is actually prized um, over whiteness. All of the conversations that I had with my friends, we all came away feeling like there has been a shift in the ideal look since this. Um, Maybe like softer, rounder features versus that like snatched fox eye kind of vibe. Um, More natural feeling in some ways, less cyborgian. Um, So yeah, if we're going to look at the nature artifice continuum, definitely feel that. Um, There's this essay that came out in Tablet um, maybe about a month ago. It's called The Class Politics of Instagram Face by this woman named, oh, I don't know actually how you say her first name, Grazie, Grazie, G-R-A-Z-I-E. Grazie Sophia Christie is her full name. Um, She's talking about how, um, you know, as access to plastic surgery, Botox, filler, et cetera, widened, um, and these procedures became much more common, then the look loses its power, right? So it's not Instagram face as we once knew it, no longer feels elite and unreachable, um, and that it's so, you know, highly reproducible that it's therefore not really that valuable um that's the kind of the main thing she's talking about she has this really interesting paragraph that i wanted to read to you guys she's talking about how this highly altered 
cyborgian Instagram face look has lost its value. She says, because as these women know, natural looks have always been and still are more valuable than artificial ones, partly because of our urge to legitimize in any way we can the advantages we have over other people. Hotness is a class struggle. The beauty of the princess justifies her estate. The symmetry of the wealthy, the sanity of the system. One is never insecure about one's rightful place. And what could be more insecure than a nose job? So barring that end rhetorical question, this idea of like that, that like natural beauty helps us legitimize ourselves over each other or legitimize the advantages we have over each other, um, that like natural beauty is in some way a justification of our class position or something. Um, and then the, the idea of one's rightful place in the social or sexual hierarchy, um, this is all feels kind of related to the what Tressie was talking about and the allegiance to blondness um, and, you know, the allegiance to a natural trait that helps us get over guilt or uncomfortability we might have with a certain social position because it feels innate and therefore like legitimizing of, of that position. Um, it's obviously kind of like a dangerous path to go down but I think that both of these writers might be describing real feelings that a lot of people have and it, and it works in the same way too right like we can also feel an allegiance to a certain trait that doesn't serve us like in power right like that actually keeps us down and I think we've talked a lot about on this podcast like how I feel like we're very incentivized to think of ourselves as very um weak and victimized by all of these abstract structures etc and not only like politically that makes us very really useful like kind of political pawns but also socially it makes us much less threatening and much less i mean empowered ultimately um but yeah i don't know if i had like a big takeaway point but i think this it's just interesting to think about the ways that any traits that we believe to be natural and enduring that we unconsciously use to justify our position behavior as if those things aren't changeable as if they aren't to a certain extent in our control as if we haven't been manipulating them or deploying them to our advantage or to keep ourselves seeming disadvantaged um and I don't think it's all wrong, right? Like these are all of the aspects that like make up an identity. And I don't think we should alienate ourselves from the instincts that, you know, inform what we understand as our identity, I guess. Um, well, that was mostly everything I had. I do have one tiny piece on the like thinness and ozempic. I'll try to go through it really fast. Um Basically, just like I already said this, but there's been a lot of like discourse about it. Makes sense. It's a good headline. It's like having its moment. Um, the Red Scare Girls did an episode on it a couple weeks ago. It's called Hozempic. I'll link it as well. Um, their kind of thing in it, you know, because it's them being them. They're like, oh, well, like it reveals that everybody always wanted to be thin. We all, you know, we all had to like pretend like we were all like the, the beauty was at every size or whatever, body positivity, et cetera. But actually, everyone wants to be thin. So they're doing that that spin then Gia also came out with a piece on it just this just yesterday on Monday um 
And, you know, I was bummed out because she says, like, um, will Ozempic, like, actually shift our opinion about what it means to be fat versus thin? But then she never really gets into it. It's just this, like, semi-reported piece about, you know, the statistics around Ozempic usage and, like, a light kind of, like, cultural situating about um, where we are in body politics or whatever. And then she, like investigates i guess how easy or she showcases how easy it is to get the drugs um she like walks us through the process of her giving them once as posing as like a 300 pound person or something and then once as like being herself and still getting to use them anyways i don't know um i think it's just like okay i don't know maybe i shouldn't have even gone into this because i don't actually have that much to say other than like i don't know it's disembodied behavior to take drugs <laughs> like this. Just like, just listen to your body, eat less, move more. Like, I know that it's very simple to hear and hard to implement, but working out will change your life. I used to really treat my body like shit and I looked like shit and I felt like shit. And then little by little, we got it together and there's no greater joy in my life than the work I put into my health. And I wish this all for you as well. <laughs> um, okay, well, that's like kind of a crazy note to end on. How can I end it? I don't believe Alex Earl is the beauty standard. And I think people need to <laughs> do a closer man in the mirror reading with themselves. <laughs> But I will concede that she has the spirit that we all crave, ease, lightness, comfortability with attention. And I wish that all for everybody. Um, okay, well, thank you all for listening. This was so, so long, but sending you all my love and my good tidings for spring. And I will talk to you soon. All right, bye.